Are Your Parents Proud of You? I'm your host, Matthew Schufreiter. Uh, Connor is not with me today. She is somewhere over... Oh my God! Sorry about that. Anyways, uh, welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? Connor Brown is somewhere near and far. Uh, on today's show, we have Yasin Bayankov, a Steppenwolf Ensemble member since 2002, and has been in such shows as Time to Burn, the time of your life, Berlin Circle, Hysteria, Morning Star, Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune, Doll's House Part 2, The Children, Lindy Way. Uh, in this interview, we talk about his time growing up in Bulgaria, um, how he got his love of theater and acting, uh, being a teacher at UIC, and um, his adaptation of Seagull, which uh, they did a reading of it on Zoom for Steppenwolf Patreons. So, um, yeah. Uh, we met over Zoom, and uh, let's uh, zoom away over there. So again, thank you for taking some time doing this. I'm I'm so appreciative. Um, I'm just very, I just want to start with you know we're, we're recording this in May and we're still in this pandemic. How are you holding up? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, you know we're, we're staying in the house with my family, my wife, and daughter, and, and the dog, and um, it's it's been okay i mean it's it's odd it's just really odd it's it's i think it's the level of uncertainty that is the most um depressing thing i guess that you don't know what is going to happen and um when we can go back to normal or when or what our normal would look like but uh, i mean we're lucky in that sense that we're we're okay you know we could we could ride the storm um um i've been teaching online my classes at uic uh we all had to uh migrate the courses in the remaining weeks of the spring semester and um um that was a little nerve-wracking but once we got into the situation and how do you do acting over zoom sessions you know but once once you realize that um yes there is a lot of things that are um um that are not working well is to focus on things that you know the opportunities for creativity you know that it's it's a whole new thing so i think we were able to handle that okay so it was it was fine and you know i've been doing some other stuff we recorded a uh, virtual reading of seagull which i'm going to direct um at some point at <laughs> steppenwolf and uh um we, we're also doing another podcast um recording for another show american clock by arthur miller which i'm actually recording later today so I've been busy, man. I gotta tell you, I've been I've been working harder now than it was before before the the virus hit. It's like wow. it seems like there's always something going on. Yeah, um, and idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. This idea of uh, I just miss I just miss being in the rehearsal room, being with the students. You know, that's those are the things that I miss. You know. Yeah, for sure. And I I just graduated college a week ago, and I was and I just finished my final acting class and you're right it's just not the same it's just yeah. monologues and uh, nothing wrong with that who doesn't love a monologue but 
you know, you're not getting the same. There's a different energy when you're just by yourself and you're recording on your phone for a great. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Um, so like you said, you just, you just um, did a reading of Siegel that you're going to be directing next summer. Um, just, there's this idea of doing a virtual reading. How did that come up? Um, well, the theater was really keen to, the, the theater was actually kind of got immediately on the ball to start offering uh, virtual programming to our uh, patrons and um, supporters. And uh, because we ended up canceling the last three shows of the season, we wanted to give something special to our audiences who were ticket holders for those particular shows. And I was approached by the theater and said, hey, what do you think if we did a virtual reading of Seagull? You know, like a table read. Uh, so our audiences, and it's going to be offered only to people who, who had tickets, which, you know, for the shows they could not see. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was like, are you, you know, worried that because, you know, we're going to do it, that it would um, uh, detract interest from the actual production? I was like, well, it, you know, it's not a new show. It's Seagull. You know, anybody could go and read it. You know, there is no big secret what happens, mm -hmm. you know. So um, I'm glad we did it because everybody was just so excited to to get back to work and um everybody was available for the reading as well so i was gonna say no one has any no one's busy right now yeah, nobody nobody has any gigs right now so everybody came prepared with like you know just wanting to do this and we had it was like three cities you know we had people in la and people in new york people in chicago i think it turned out really well i'm i'm yeah. really happy the way it turned out i was i was very pleased and it was really helpful for me to kind of look at uh, certain details and I'm already kind of starting to uh, think of things that I could be implementing once we get into the rehearsal room. So for me personally, having seen it so many times, because I was involved in the editing process and all of that, it was, it was really, I mean, it just felt like working again, which always kind of picks me up, you know? Do you do much directing with a reading, especially with like, did you guys even have like multiple rehearsals? Uh, no, we only had one rehearsal, uh, which was mostly tech. But uh, I mean, I did give some notes, um, but I got to tell you, the actors were so prepared and they were so kind of um, ready to do this that I I, I didn't have to do much directing. I mean, what, you know, a table read, a first table read is just to hear the play out loud. So it, it wasn't, I didn't look at it as a staged reading of the play. I, this is, I looked at it as, as a first table read. And we had most of the ensemble that is going to be in the show anyway. So, um, you know. Everybody was already kind of showing me their game, what they got, you know, and uh, uh, it was amazing. It was great. I, I did give some notes here and there um, about certain opportunities that I was seeing, but those actors were like absolutely on point. So there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of directing going on. Yeah, no, I watched it. And first of all, it's very weird to see like, the older generation of the ensemble and like a very younger generation of the ensemble as someone who's seeing 
multiple Steppenwolf shows and you just sort of see little differences and little uh, takes on, on the, on the characters themselves. So I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, oh, you saw it? Yeah, I saw it last night. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> research, you know, you got, you got, yeah. you got to prep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had a great time, man. Yeah. And yeah. Awesome. So you grew up in Bulgaria. Um, when did you start getting the bug to perform during that time? Well, um, growing up in Bulgaria, I was, um, I was exposed to theater very early on in my life, as I believe most people in Europe are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's theater is a big part of our culture. And um, I believe that my parents took me to a show when I was maybe seven years old. Um, and it was, um, I mean, I clearly remember the production. Like it was, it was not, it was not something for kids. I mean, it's not that it was inappropriate for kids, but it was adult themes. It was love, betrayal, stuff like that. And I just remember we had these, we have this, uh, I'm from Varna, which is on the Black Sea coast of Bulgaria. It's the uh, second largest city in the country. And, a uh, huge resort town, kind of like, you know, I mean, it has the vibe of San Francisco and, you know, any kind of sea metropolis. And uh, we had a really wonderful theater at the time and uh, really old building, which also housed the opera as well. So I think we were sitting on the second balcony right in the center and I just remember when the lights went down and I started looking at these actors, I was just so mesmerized by the whole experience. Uh, I just literally sat there and I was like, I want to do that. This is what I want to do. Um, I mean, I was before that, ever since I was little, I was doing a little clowning for my parents, you know, singing songs and reciting poetry and kind of uh, doing some skits from shows that I have seen. But it was mostly copying stuff that I was seeing on TV when I was very young. But, but that particular moment when I sat in that theater and I watched those actors, it was, it was a magical experience. And I just knew it right there and then that this is what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And how did your parents feel when you told them like, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. Did they take it? Yeah. My dad was actually very supportive because my dad has done some community theater he wasn't an actor, but in his youth, he has done some community theater. And uh, um, uh, when I decided to become an actor, uh, my parents come from a small village. Um, and whenever we would go back to see my grandparents and, you know, people in the village would hear that, you know, I was wanting to become an actor, they would like say, Oh, we remember his dad. He was in such and such play and made the whole theater cry at the end of it. <laughs> so I think dad had the, had the, you know, the thing yeah. <laughs> that probably transferred to me. <laughs> so he was, he was very supportive, Matthew. Actually, um, when I was, when I was a kid in middle school, I was doing all these poetry competitions and, um, I remember one year I won the regional poetry competition and we had um, uh, some kind of a celebration in our school, uh, which was, um, so there were different performances that were done 
in this theater and I was supposed to perform the poem that won, you know, the first place in the regionals. And I went out on stage and I did the first couple of, uh, you know, um, couplets. And then I forgot the text just literally flew out of my mind. And I remember seeing my dad and mom on the second row and my, my dad starting to, to, to kind of get really nervous. And I just stood there for what felt like an eternity. Probably was like 30, 40 seconds, which, you know, in stage time, hours. And the audience started clapping. And then all of a sudden I remembered the rest of the lines. And then I finished the poem. And then I, then I dashed out of stage. It was one of those moments where in front of the curtain. So you're trying to find the curtain you know, on the way out and you can't find it and they're clapping and it was a really traumatic experience. I think I was, I think I was 11 or 12 at the time, maybe 12. And I swore that I would never go back on the stage because it was such a traumatic experience. But my dad was the one who kept encouraging me. And after a couple of years, I went back and started doing some community theater and then went on to go to drama school and, you know, yeah. And became an actor. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he becomes yeah. an actor. But, but my 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 mother my mother wanted me to become uh, um um uh, an officer. We had a oh. we had a marine school in uh, um in Varna and um it was very popular and uh, the military was making good money at the time, so she always saw me as a as an officer in her dreams, but me and the military just no. I was gonna say, did you ever even come close to thinking about doing it? Oh no, never. No, <laughs> never, never. Yeah, and then so was is it true then when you were sixteen, your first stage performance was Radik Yurfkin in the Young Guard? Was that there? Yeah, that, yeah. Was that? How'd you find that out? Research, you know. <laughs> God, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Well, this so. When I started getting back involved in community theater, one of the um, one of the actors in the um, in the in the ensemble of the theater um, was basically the person who who led that community theater group, and uh, they were doing uh, the young guard at the theater, and they wanted a young, you know, a high schooler to play this role of like one of the. I mean, it's the story. I don't know if you know the story. It's it's based on a true story. It's during the um, Nazi occupation of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a lot of uh, organized resistance. And um, they had different cells of young, really young teenagers who were basically organizing. And it was like a guerrilla movement. They were sabotaging you know, Nazi equipment and, and vehicles and doing actually assassination hits on like high rank Nazi officers. So this kid, uh, Radik Jurkin was, it's most of them actually actual figures. And, um, and I think he was one of the few that survived, um, cause eventually the Nazis caught up with them and executed all of them. But he was one of the youngest ones of the resistance. Um, and the rest of them were like 16, 18, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, 
the the leader of that group that I was involved with um, introduced me to the director and I auditioned for the director and I got cast and he was on the main stage of our regional theater where years earlier I have seen that performance. So I was, my debut was on that stage where I saw when I, where I caught the bug, but now I was on that stage with other people watching me. I mean, I was on seventh heaven, man. It was just, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I was also performing with some of my idols because by that time I was seeing everything in that theater. So I was performing with all these actors, young actors who were like really good and um, and kind of some of them starting to become famous. So to me, it was just transcendent experience. Yeah. I remember when I was doing acting classes in school and there was this one class. I was, first of all, one of two boys. And I remember looking at everyone in that classroom. I thought either they've been involved in the school or they're just a well-known name. And I was just floored. Like, these are just people I want to work with in general. And I wish that when I, after that class is over, that A, I worked with them more and B, I, I became a better actor because of them. So I think just having, and, it's, and like you said, people younger and older, having like a similar age gap, I think kind of helps for, to have a rel- relatability, I think. Yeah. Um, so for, from after school, when did you um, become, come to the States? Was it after college? Did it take a few years? Yeah, it was right after college. So um, in Bulgaria at the time, um, we had to do two years of military service. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can get away from yeah and uh it was miserable time i mean it's like imagine doing something against your will for two years i mean it's public service but you're in the army dealing with military bullshit and um uh so this is right after high school and then um in the second year i i we have only one drama school in bulgaria Mm -hmm. at the time um and it was, uh, but once you get in, you actually become a professional actor because every every major city had a regional theater. And uh, at the end of your fourth year, the artistic directors of all of those theaters come to watch our student productions. And from there you get drafted in a, in a theater, you know. And so I got accepted in drama school on my second try. Um, I didn't get accepted the first time right after high school. It's unusual to get accepted right after high school because they have to wait for you two years to finish your service. And usually the professors who take the classes are not the ones who will be taking classes in two years, two years time. So I applied uh, um, in my second year of service uh, because I was about to be, you know, I guess I don't know what the word is retired <laughs> by by September when the when the school starts and I got accepted um it was a huge competition cuz everybody wanted to be an actor uh, we had like 2000 candidates for like uh, 20 spots yes. and you go through five callbacks to to get accepted so it was it was one of the happiest days of my life when I when I saw my name in the final list and i had amazing professors in in drama school um 
the system is slightly different because you have one professor who's with you through the entire four years teaching you all the classes and that professor has a couple of assistants so you go with the same mentor for the four years of your studies and mine just happened to be probably the most brilliant director in the country at the time i mean he was uh working at the National Theatre of Bulgaria. And then later in our third or fourth year, he became artistic director of another really um, uh, famous uh, theater. And this is in Sofia. The school was in Sofia, the capital city. And then after graduation, I got um, offered um, um, uh, a spot in a theater, which was in Sofia. And I did one year as a professional actor Meanwhile, the political situation in Bulgaria changed because we were a communist country for about 35, 40 years. And um, um, this is like right in 1990 when the Berlin Wall fell and all the socialist governments started falling like dominoes. Same thing happened in Bulgaria. So after that, the... um, uh, Travel abroad was um, became available to us because we weren't we weren't able to travel anywhere in the West or the United States, so that was the beginning of democracy for us. Um, and uh, so after I did my one year in um, um, in that theater, it's called the Sofia Traveling Theater, um, and we had the first free elections. And the communists won the first free elections. And um, this was the moment when I made the decision that I couldn't stick around anymore because I knew this was going to be a long time before things get to normal. I had the opportunity to um, come to the United States and I came straight to Chicago in the summer of... 1990 um and um i i basically didn't know anyone and uh started working on jobs and stuff and then within a year i was back performing you know i there was a publication i don't know if it still exists performing where you get um audition notices so i started looking at that and then i i went to one casting call and then I got cast in my first American show which was in the summer of 91 mm-hmm. and then one thing led to another and then in 92 um, I hooked up with a an actor from England and we started the European Repertory Company mm-hmm. so we ran our own theater company for about 10-12 years wow um, but yeah, I mean, I worked, I worked a lot of odd jobs until I was able to, <laughs> to become a full-time actor. The first seven years were the hardest. Cause I, I mean, I was working full-time jobs and most of my pay was going into subsidizing our theater. Mm-hmm. And then in 97, I got cast in my first step show. And from there on, it just, things started happening. And by 98, I was already a full-time I mean, I was making money only from acting. Yeah. Uh, so I read somewhere that because English is your third language, you have to make sure you memorize your lines like very, very quickly. Um, how hard is that to just 
memorize the lines and you know how long do you think it usually takes you to memorize those lines um i mean i guess it's 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 a muscle that you develop over the years i mean i always i always i always like to be prepared and i knew that i was a disadvantage because as you mentioned you know english is my third language i obviously i'm bulgarian so i don't even know if that counts as a language um then i i i learned russian when i was 12 and then i got accepted in a english language high school when i was 14 and that's when i learned the language um and i mean if you're not if this is not your native tongue it's it's very it's very difficult to improvise and come up with substitutions immediately so i always i always make sure that i know my text um usually before first rehearsal um it i mean i kind of like doing it you know you just sit down and you just run the lines and as you're running the lines you because you know you get bored by doing it the same way you you find different readings of the lines and then you discover actually that's kind of my table work before I start rehearsals. Mm -hmm. um, but depending on the part, you know, usually I could do it in like two to three weeks, you know, uh, again, depending how big the part is. But I, I always like to go into first rehearsal completely memorized because I feel like I just don't have time to waste during the rehearsal. And, and it's 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 so much easier to perform without the script in your hand. Then you can focus on what's happening between you and your partner, and and the environment and everything around you, instead of like having a relationship with your book and yeah. then through your book with your partner and everything else that's coming around you. Yeah, when the script becomes like the third wheel of this relationship, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's what I keep saying to my students. Imagine playing basketball with one arm tied behind your back. <laughs> I mean, how good is that? No. Yeah. Right? I'd like to see that play, please, of the one-armed basketball player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in 2000, you become a teacher at UIC. Um what did when you want when you wanted to teach did you get inspired from your previous teachers like you mentioned before or is this just something that you wanted to try no i absolutely got inspired by my professor um krikor azarian is his name and uh we called him coco for short coco was a brilliant mind and um i would always sit in the rehearsal room when when we were rehearsing the plays, even when I wasn't called, I was I was in the rehearsal room watching him because he was just so fascinating to watch. And um, I my training was an act was as an actor, but I learned how to direct by watching really great directors do what they do. So I've always taken special interest in um, watching how the directors work. Um, and Koko uh, inspired me to become a professor, and it was it was one of my dreams to teach theater. And um, I feel actually when I when I teach, I channel him through myself. Uh, um, we lost him about eleven years ago, but we were very close. Him and I were very close, and um, 
we were fortunate enough. Uh, I was able to actually bring him to the States in 2004 to teach at the Steppenwolf Summer School. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a we had some kind of grant to bring a um, 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 a theater artist from abroad, and uh, him and I uh, taught together a three week uh, course on Chekhov in the summer school of Steppenwolf. And oh my God, he felt like I was back in college with him. And I mean, I was mostly translating yeah. for him, but also we were on the same wavelength. Sometimes he would give me a note and say, say that to the actors. And I would say, I already did. Cause I knew it. <laughs> and he would just kind of tap me on the shoulder. like, see, we're on the same wavelength. And I mean, even though he was speaking in Bulgarian, at some point the actors were like, when I turned to translate, they were like, don't tell me, I know what he said. Uh, he was very expressive. He was always on his feet and sometimes playing the characters. And I think I kind of inherited that from him. Yeah. I like to get up on my feet and, you know, do stuff, be very active and animated. But yeah, quite often I, I feel like I channel him through me when I, you know, when I teach. Um, So he definitely, definitely inspired me. Um, But yeah, I mean, I had an opportunity in 2000, as you mentioned, and I want to play homage to my colleague, William Raffelt, who, actually passed away on Sunday. Um, He was the founder of the UIC theater program. And um, I met him through some event and I said to Bill, Hey Bill, if you any, if if you ever need anybody to teach a class or direct a show, let me know. And he got back to me like within a year or so. And I did, I taught my first class at UIC in 2000, as you, as you pointed out. And, um, and I've been teaching there ever since. Do you have, do you get any inspiration from your students in terms of how they act? And you think to yourself, well, that's a choice I never thought of. I should try that. All the time. Yeah. All the time. I mean, I always say to my students that teaching is a two-way venue. Obviously, I have a lot of experience and expertise, which I share with my students. But I also get a lot from them. I mean, when I, you know. Uh, when I interact with them, um, I always feel this keeps me current and young and hip. And, um, and I get a lot and I get a lot from my students. And I always, I I mean, I'll give you one example. I teach Chekhov um, every year in the spring semester. Chekhov is by far my favorite playwright. Um, and obviously I have taught this thing for like now, you know, 15 years, probably. Um, I mean, it's only five plays, right? So I've pretty much kind of done all the scenes. I never get bored. I always go in it like with open mind and eyes. And I, I, I discover more and more, you know, um, even now when I was working on Seagull, again, I discover new things. And to see my students come up with choices that are like unusual and so creative, it just kind of, it really kind of brings me to tears, especially when I see them navigate the really hard roles, the really hard scenes uh, with such dignity and grace and creativity. So, yeah, 
I and and of course it brings me back to when I was in their shoes and it's like it's always I mean those are some of the sweetest memories so it's 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 super fulfilling but also it's I always say that uh, teaching makes me a better actor and a director and directing and acting makes me a better teacher they kind of feed off each other yeah yeah do you view when you teach do you view it as teacher and, and students or do you view it as a group of artists working together to make something the latter yeah. it's a collaborative theater is a collaborative art i don't believe in uh uh professors who are condescending and and um oh i i know so much more than you shut up this is how this works you know no i i always encourage i always let my students have their go at it because i believe the actor impulse nine out of ten times is right mm -hmm. so to me it's very important to see what they bring to the process and from there on i could help them develop it and show them other opportunities to get it even better but um no it's definitely a collaborative art i don't think it's 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 not prescriptive it's not it's not math or science where there's certain things that are given you know yeah. this is an art that the imagination is probably the most important tool that that you have you know and that's that's where my focus is on nourishing that imagination because uh an actor needs to be creative to be employable you know i always say there's three main factors uh being truthful and organic being imaginative and creative and being confident mm -hmm. and they those are the three pillars of acting yeah no for sure and yeah. it's not it's not something you read in a book or or write it down on paper it it happens in that in the room in the live contact with your peers and and your professors yeah which is why it's so hard to do teach acting right now just because that energy and that like you said that's just not there right now um, i know well we found a way we found a way i <laughs> I, I migrated my Chekhov class this spring and actually it, it the results were fascinating the results were fascinating because i think in a way it allowed students to kind of get rid of some of their inhibitions when they perform in front of a room full of their peers. So um, I don't know, it, in a, in a kind of, in some strange kind of way, it worked really well. So. No, that's fantastic. I don't recommend it forever, <laughs> but we were able to, to make it work, you know, one, you're, you're, you're one and done. That's okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you got involved with Steppenwolf since 2002. I mean, you've been doing over 20 shows with them uh, and you are an ensemble member and artistic associate. So what does an ensemble member mean and what does an artistic associate mean in terms of like a job? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, like I said, I did my first show at Steppenwolf in 97 and then I got invited to join the ensemble in 2002 um being part of the ensemble is um the the leadership of the theater recognizes um that 
you have as an artist something that is special and something that is of the Steppenwolf culture. Mm-hmm. And by the I got invited to join the ensemble after my sixth show at Steppenwolf. So I have done six six I've been in six productions before I got you know, I got invited after we did the time of your life mm-hmm. in two thousand and two. And um um it's about it's uh, believe me we've we've had this discussion many times at our ensemble meetings what does it take to be a step off ensemble member and and it's it's one of those elusive things when you see somebody perform you kind of sit up yeah and you listen and you pay attention and it's that quality that is so kind of uh I don't know if you can put words to it. You know what I mean? Um, but I always knew I belonged in that theater because Stepanov is, I mean, I've worked in many, many theaters, including in Europe as well. Um, Stepanov is unique in that aspect that it's the only theater I've worked in where everything is about the actor. It is truly an actor's theater. The actor is put on a pedestal everybody's there to serve the actor mm-hmm. and the art that they bring uh, because it was founded by a group of actors um, for many many years was run by actors so it's in the culture of the institution and when the season is decided it is always uh, designed around the actors so being an ensemble member gives you well first of all it gives you an artistic home where you could you know practice your art but it also gives you first dibs for the best parts in those plays and sometimes there's actually shows that have been um um designed around you i mean the first show that i was um uh, one of the one of the first shows that I was involved in um, already as an ensemble member was um, Frank and Johnny at the Claire de Lune. And it was a production that um, uh, was basically programmed around Laurie Metcalf and myself. Mm -hmm. So when the theater, when the theater was um, programming the production, it was, it was it was because of us because they wanted to put us together to perform in that production um artistic associate is um there is a group of us uh six actors from the group who are involved in um artistic office meetings where we uh we all read plays and then we discuss those plays and um are they right for our theater who are the actors who would be from our group that will be in that production so um we also sometimes discuss uh artistic choices like who would be you know um who would be the appropriate director for this project if there's no one in within the ensemble who's going to direct it so there's a lot of artistic issues at hand you know so we basically advise the artistic director on um, assembling 
the theater season and um, and sometimes choosing the artists as well. Um, there is a small stipend that goes with it, but it's nothing that you could live on. No, that sounds awesome. Um, and a really quick story. I think this is funny. So my first show I saw of yours was Dollhouse Part 2. Oh, okay. Because I know I, Barbara is a professor at Columbia, and I saw with Yes, friend. yes, yeah. Um, and so I didn't know who you were, and I didn't know – I just knew some. I know a little about the play. And you come out, and I was a big mustache guy. And I saw this mustache you had, and I was like, all right, I am loving this play just for that. And <laughs> I'm waiting, we're waiting, my group of friends and I were waiting for Barbara to come and say hi. And I see you coming down, I'm like, oh my God, it's the guy with the mustache. And I didn't see them, and I realized, oh, the mustache was fake. And, they, and my heart just sank. I was like, oh, it's not real, but so cool that it looked that real on stage. I had the on stage scene, I'm like, oh, from right here, oh. My, I think my heart grew that night because of that mustache. So thank you for that. I've I've had that big of a mustache in other productions, actually. Oh really? Um, I'm, I'm oh yeah. I'm kind of a facial hair guy. I I like to. I had all kinds of weird, you know, uh, hair things going on over the years. You know, like. Uh, mutton chops and and mustaches and full beards uh, but i had i had this actually actually bigger than that mustache in a show many years ago um called lost land um yeah. in 2005 um we performed with uh john malkovich and Jan Barford uh, was in it as well. And um, I was just coming off uh, Cherry Orchard where I played Lopakhin, where I had full beard. Yeah. So I just, I mean, this guy was like an officer in the um, Austro-Hungarian army. And I just shaved the beard and continued to grow the mustache. And it was literally, it went like, I mean, when I, when I would take a shower, it would like cover, it would come down to like cover my lips and stuff. That mustache almost got me a role in, um, um, oh gosh, what was that? Um, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen? Yeah, a Borat? That movie. <laughs> I, they flew me, I flew to LA, actually, I auditioned with Sasha. He was such a gentleman. It was such a, I had a great audition, but obviously they decided to go with the guy who's in the movie yeah. because, Actually, kind of Sasha and I, Sasha had the big mustache. I had the big mustache. We're kind of both tall and I was skinny at the time. So we were very similar yeah. in appearance. But I know we we were improvising. We hit it right off. It was it was it was an, it was one of the most amazing auditions I've ever had. I thought I had it. I, I thought I had it for sure. I thought, oh, I got that part. <laughs> Not so. Uh, but yeah, it was. And when I when I landed in LA and I went to get um the rental car, the guy at the counter was like, Are you here for the mustache convention? <laughs> I was like, What? It's like there's a mustache convention this weekend. Are you for that? It's like, no. <laughs> Man, that's that's a great stash. I got a lot of compliments on it. <laughs> You're welcome. Um so I also realized before before Doll's House, you apparently you went on this like six year hiatus from acting. Is that true? Yeah, 
Yeah. What was? Oh, from stage acting. Oh, from stage acting. Okay. Stage acting. Yeah. Well, um, in 2014, I directed my first main stage show at Stepmove. So for the next um, several years, I was directing. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I, I directed four shows back to back between 2014 and 2016. And um, also, meanwhile, I did some television. I had a recurring part on Madam Secretary. Mm-hmm. So I was I was pretty busy with with other stuff. Um, yeah. So last year, 2019, basically was my big comeback, and I did three productions. There, yeah, that's awesome. Um, uh, two more questions before we um, wrap up. I um, when I saw you again in Lindy Way. And you yeah. talking about bringing, you brought in Lady Blacksmith Mimbazo and you talk about bringing fellow artists in as well. How do your students respond to you bringing these guest artists in? I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really, really grateful and excited. I mean, over the years, I have, I have brought in um, Martha Levy, uh, uh, William Peterson, um, Lori Metcalf, um, um, Eamon Walker, who I directed in Riverside and Crazy, and then of course Lady Smith Black Mombazo. I mean, they're very grateful, and I'm so, I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to to bring these artists to them, so they can, um, so they can see, um, <laughs> well, first to see them and to hear about their own experience. I think it's really inspiring, especially if it's somebody who you idolize and then you hear about their artistic path and what they were doing when they were at the age of those college kids. And it just makes it so much more human, so much more, um, I don't know, tangible in a way. So you figure out, Hey, it could happen for me. I mean, Martha was really funny because Martha Levy, you know, at the time was the artistic director at Stepmove, and she said right off the bat, you know, the only other job I've had before I became the artistic director was babysitting. <laughs> so she was part of the ensemble at the time, and um, there was a crisis of leadership. They had to bring in someone, and they figured out the, you know, the founders, Gary Sinise, Jeff Perry, and Terry Keeney decided that uh, the learning curve of the artistic director is a lot less steep than the learning curve of understanding the Steppenwolf ensemble. So that's why they decided to go with a relatively new ensemble member and put her in charge of this, you know, iconic um, cultural institution. Obviously it paid off because Martha gave her life to the theater. Yeah. I mean, she yeah. literally gave her life to us and where we are today as an institution is uh to big extent you know uh because of her yeah no she was a she was a great um i did a whole project about steppenwolf in college so i was researching a lot about martha and anna um she was wonderful but lady smith was such a big hit for all of our students you know i got I, I mean, I had so many like emails and just people telling me, oh, we just love this so much. And it was, 
and that was actually cross departmental because you know the music students were involved and people from the entire university came to see them and it was just a, a big you know it was a big event they were yeah it was huge that's great um so before we wrap up i'm curious um i was i was watching a webinar with you, you uh someone you mentioned jan bofford and he was asked about you know the future theater of where it's going to look like going forward once we do move on from this pandemic um where do you think we're going to go from when this is all over? I think that unfortunately we're probably going to lose a lot of um, theater groups uh, because not, not everybody could survive this crisis. Um, but I believe that the theater will come back um, stronger than ever. I think people I think people realize or they will realize what they're missing in their lives now um, that they're not able to get in the theater and watch actors perform live because there's, I mean, I've always believed that theater of most arts speaks the most to our shared humanity. And the way I was touched in that dark room back, you know, when I was a kid in the late 60s, early 70s, is something that um, many other people would experience in their lifetime. And a lot of them would would feel that magic, would feel that energy, that's kind of nourishment for the soul. So I think we will come back stronger than ever. Um, I mean, theater has been around for 2,500 years and how many people, how many times have we heard, oh, okay, radio would kill it, TV would kill it, internet would kill it, movies would kill it. Nothing has killed theater yet. And I don't think any people, people have an inherent need to be in groups, telling stories and listening to stories. And this goes back all the way to the cave people, you know what I mean? When they were drawing on the walls and probably telling all the stories of the, you know, buffalo they killed that day or whatever happened. So this is not going anywhere. I think we're going to come back stronger than ever. Um, and um, I think whoever's left after this huge crisis would have probably full houses um and uh and things will rebound maybe not maybe not as quickly as we would like to unfortunately maybe a lot of colleagues would decide to do something else with their lives um but we need we need theater we need theater and i think we'll be back stronger than ever yeah for sure well before we go yasin uh, my my last question i think it's my toughest one yet uh which is um are your parents proud of you? Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. My, my mother is so proud. Um, one thing I didn't mention is unfortunately my dad never got to see me become a professional actor. Um, dad actually passed away a month before I got accepted in drama school. So he never got to see this dream of mine and of his realized, but, um, um, I, 
I feel I've always felt his energy around me, even when he was gone. And that has kept me through the years. Yeah, that's one. I know wherever he is, if he's somewhere right now, he's probably really proud. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk. This, um, this was a lot of fun and getting to know more about like theater in general is great. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you, Matthew. Really, really great interview. That was, I, I loved your questions and I, I love communicating with you. Oh. Best of luck to you, my friend. Thank you. You take care. Keep the light burning. We'll you be back. Can... Whoa, that was a lot of knowledge. Uh, my thanks to Yasin Peyankov for joining me. And, you know, folks, go share a play. Go see a play. Um, I saw Seagull, and it was an incredible experience. Um, speaking of plays, this episode would not be done without the playwright, Griffin McCorgle. Griffin, you have such fine dialogue. All right, I'm here. Sorry. Um, Connor? Did you start without me? We, we're, we you, got two minutes left of the show. You said, you said to come at... So I'm at three. It's three. Uh, I said that for the last episode. Oh, you're right. I see that. <gasps> well, well, Connor, Connor. You should have told me to relook at my text correctly. You're older than me. So? This is a joint thing. You're supposed to make sure I, I know. You this is like the one time I was coming. Like, I was really willing the to come time, in. You keep watching Fantasia 2000, so you never respond to my texts. Listen, Fantasia 2000 is a bomb. All those songs are bombing. Just, just tell them where they can find us. Find us on Parents Proud Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, and iTunes, and Apple everything. Listen. Good job. Thanks. And on that note... I'm just going to leave out of spite now. Well, wait. Bye. Tell them who you are. Tell them who you are. I'm Connor. And I'm Matthew. And we'll see you next time. Oh, you? Oh.